Welcome to the Federation of Asian Canadian Lawyers, Faculty of British Columbia podcast. We are a diverse coalition of Asian Canadian legal professionals. We promote equity, justice, and opportunity for Asian Canadian legal professionals and the community. We foster advocacy, community involvement, legal scholarship, and professional development. The purpose of this podcast highlights the diverse and unique members of our community. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Before we start, I wanted to introduce our listeners to Jenny, who will be joining Faculty BC's podcast as a new co-host. Hello, everyone. My name is Jenny Huang, and I work at a national law firm in Vancouver. Here are some fun facts about me. I have a master's degree in medical genetics, and I used to work as a research assistant in the lab. I love the outdoors, so before entering law school, I went on a road trip to Iceland and camped out next to many waterfalls. I'm really excited to be joining the Faculty BC's podcast as a co-host. I hope to use this opportunity to promote diversity and inclusion in the legal profession. Awesome. So we're really excited to have you here today, Narissa. So Narissa is a civil litigator at Hakimi and Richdale LLP. She represents corporate and individual clients in complex matters such as contractual disputes, shareholders disputes, creditor debtors remedies, real estate, and strata disputes, fraud, as well as defamation. Her work in these areas has been recognized by Canadian lawyers as Narissa was recently named one of the top 25 most influential lawyers in Canada in the young influencer category for 2020. Narissa moved alone from Shanghai to Canada in 2002. When she arrived in Canada, she taught herself English by enrolling in the Langara English for Academic Purposes LEAP program. Today, she also speaks conversational Japanese she obtained a Bachelor of Arts in Communications at uh, Simon Fraser University and attended law school at the University of Ottawa. Narissa, we're so happy to have you here today with us. Thank you both so much for having me. Awesome. So we wanted to kickstart uh, today's episode with an icebreaker question. So Narissa, we were wondering if you could share with us what your favorite memory is and why. There are many um, happy occasions in my life, um, but if I have to pick one, I would say that the fact that I was able to uh, move to Canada from Shanghai, China at the age of 18 by myself um, is the most memorable and uh, um, uh, life-changing event. Yeah, thank you for sharing, actually. That segues very nicely into our first topic, which is uh, we wanted to talk a bit about the language barriers that you faced, as well as your upbringing and your journey to Canada. And so the next question that we had for you was, why did you decide to come to Canada? Uh, well, it wasn't um, a, a decision um, on the fly or, or decision made solely by myself. It was a, a joint decision by uh, both my parents and myself, um, they wanted me to uh, live in a country uh, that values freedom and democracy. Um, and they also wanted me to receive the kind of education um, that Canada was known to have offered uh, to young people. So uh, it, it was um, uh, a joint decision by both my family and myself. Mm -hmm. um, and so you've been here since 2002, and then uh, we know that you went to SFU, and then you eventually went to U Ottawa for law school. So we were wondering what made you want to pursue law school? Um, that was something that I made up my mind for when I was uh, a teenager um, back, back in, in China. Um, I was uh, quite uh, interested in um, advocating 
for other people as a youngster. Um, I saw um, <laughs> that, that was that was something that I made up made up my mind for uh, in my early years um, that I wanted. Uh, justice for the society. I, I, I saw injustice in the environment that I grew up, grew up in, mm -hmm. and the kind of injustice that my family um, experienced during the uh, tough political um, uh, unrest uh, in, 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 in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So in my mind, fairness and justice uh, was um, uh, very important in, in, in one's life and, and being a lawyer in my mind at the time uh, would be able to um, change that for other people. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I think it resonates very much with Jenny and myself and we know that you're uh, obviously a great advocate because that is why the Canadian lawyer recognized you and we also know that uh, outside of work you also do volunteer for Access Pro Bono too. So it's, uh, it's really nice to hear that you give back to the community so much. Um, and then I think uh, Jenny has some questions to ask you next so I will turn it over to her. Um, Narissa, we noticed that you also write for the UBC blog post and um, and you shared an article uh, last year called Diversity in Its True Colors and both uh, Fiona and I read it and we really felt that the piece spoke to us and we'd love to ask you some questions about it. So in the piece you talked about being the perfect courtroom lawyer. So you had a piece about how there were uh, situations where um, a client has asked for a white Caucasian male lawyer as their preferred lawyer versus an Asian female, for example. Um, and in another instance, you had written a, um, a story about how uh, somebody had commented on your accent and you had asked a question about, you know, having an, an accent in English. Is that something that people notice in the courtroom and how a client responds or how even the, you know, the legal profession responds to that. Um, and then and another uh, piece about uh, gender bias um, in the profession as well. Uh, Nerissa, out of the stories you shared in this um, uh, piece in the UBC Diversity blog post titled Diversity in Its True Colors, uh, dated September 17, 2019, uh, which one which one of these stories do you think had the most impact on you and why? Um, I think that all of the stories that I shared um, in that article uh, were things that um, uh, I had thought about uh, in great lengths. Um, I, I thought about them. I, I had um, some discussions with my peers um, and, and I felt very strongly about all of them uh, because I I do see them to be a bit of an elephant in the room in this profession. And I wanted to be able to vocalize um, my observations and concerns uh, arising from, from the, the experiences. It, it, it was true that uh, there was a client who uh, expressed that he would prefer uh, a Caucasian, a native, native English speaker lawyer uh, instead of me. Uh, it was also true that I was told that um, right away um, uh, people were able to tell that um, I'm not a native English speaker um, and, and I, uh, for obvious reasons, had felt um, quite self-conscious about that, especially being a courtroom lawyer, uh, knowing that that is just something that people 
uh, would notice, uh, including the judge and, and opposing counsel. Um, so uh, I, I believe that those things are seldom discussed um, from the perspective of a lawyer who was born and raised in, in a foreign country. Um, but those things are quite, um, uh, those things do exist in this profession and in many other professions and they, they need to be discussed um, given that diversity and um, uh, multiculturalism uh, is often uh, raised uh, in our daily life and in our profession. Um, so um, I guess I wanted to write those stories, share those experiences and stories uh, with um, uh, my profession, just so people are aware of what others uh, may be experiencing, um, and and then to uh, raise awareness of the kind of gap that we we're uh, we have yet to build uh, in this profession. Thank you for that. In in terms of a follow up, how did you handle the situation when a client did ask? Um, to be represented by, by somebody else other than you, how would you handle a situation like that? Um, I was very fortunate to be working with a senior lawyer on the file who um, uh, stood up for me. Um, it was his client and, and he made it very clear to the client that that was not an acceptable um, statement to make. Uh, the, the senior lawyer would keep me on the file uh, despite the fact that the client uh, wanted me to be off the file, um, and I, uh, when when the client was was caught out by by the senior lawyer, uh, he actually apologized uh, and and uh, tried to justify uh, what he meant and why he said what he said. Uh, regardless, um, I was encouraged and 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 uh, happy that the senior lawyer uh, was able to. Um, to stand up for me. I was quite junior at the time. I was probably one year call. Um, and, and knowing the kind of support uh, I, I had uh, was very encouraging. Thank you for sharing your experiences with us. It's so important to shed light on these type of issues that may be more unique to someone who is a visible minority in the legal profession. This also goes to show how important it is for people in the legal community to lend support to one another. Uh, you had mentioned that um, in your piece, you also spoke about gender bias in the profession. Could you give us a bit of insight on, on how you've been able to deal with situations that have come up based on this? Fortunately enough, I personally have never um, uh, experienced firsthand um, any sort of gender bias. Um, I, I, I did um, talk about in my article that one uh, experience I had uh, uh, sitting in, a, in a, 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 a seminar where a senior lawyer on the panel, a female lawyer on the panel, uh, was um, uh, telling the audience how she would prefer a male uh, junior lawyer on the file because uh, a, a female lawyer would might have to leave early either to pick up her children in daycare or some other uh, uh, events may, may arise that could 
um, prevent the, the smooth working relationship between her and 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 her junior lawyer. And I've noticed that the audience did not did not react well um, uh, after hearing that. Uh, it was unfortunate that other panelists or the 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 um, uh, the, the, the host of the event uh, did not challenge the lawyer for 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 um, uh, stating that, um, and and it just goes to show that you know the the subconscious bias uh, can be held by both men and women in our profession, and sometimes it it, it can be manifested. As a matter of fact, uh, a personal preference fighting towards a more uh, gender balanced um, uh, over, uh, gender balanced um, reality for this profession, we should um, challenge those who still hold the dated views of of uh, what a preferred junior uh, uh, should be. That's a really good point, and something um, that I'm happy to hear about as well, like moving, you know, come being so young in the profession and I'm happy to hear if that's the case. Right. And, and I um, had a baby earlier this year and after I, I had my baby, I become even more appreciative of um, uh, uh, female lawyers who have to juggle between family and work. Uh, as a litigator, uh, things can get very demanding um, and and then childcare is obviously of paramount importance. So so is one's career, and and to be able to juggle between the two, um, knowing that there's support there in the profession, in the community, within the within a firm, is so critical um, to to any female practicing lawyer. Thank you for that. Those are those are really nice things to hear about, and so I'm happy to hear that too. Mm. We're actually really glad that you um, brought up childcare because um, I, I think that's something that our listeners would be interested in hearing more about. So I know you mentioned that it's important that we have a uh, obviously a supportive work environment and that um, our career is just as important as um, you know having having a family, having a work life balance, and of course having having children. And so I guess one of our questions for you was. How do you balance childcare with work commitments and what are some challenges that you have faced? Mm. Well, before I had my baby, I was able to um, work for as long as I wanted, uh, anywhere I wanted, anytime I wanted during the, during the day. Um, and, uh, but after I had my baby, um, uh, I'm, I'm, we're lucky, my husband and I are lucky enough to have a nanny um, Monday to Thursday. So I'm able to work Monday to Thursday during the day. But Friday, I have to look after the baby myself. So I have to really find time in the evenings or on the weekends to catch up on the work that um, that requires me to pay attention to. Um, it, it just, that's the reality that you um, you, you, you kind of, um, have to uh, find uh, time in a day that you can actually fulfill your role as counsel, fulfill your obligations to your clients uh, that otherwise may not need the evening hours or, or weekend hours to do. Um, that's the um, kind of sacrifice um, I, I, I was prepared to make. It's not easy. Um, uh, I'm always feeling a bit tired. 
Um, but um, um, I have, I, I just have to tell myself when to take a break and, and when to um, push a bit harder. It, it's really a balance, balance, uh, balancing act. Um, uh, overall, I just find that um, having a child definitely uh, creates a lot of challenges for a working uh, mom. And I wish childcare is more affordable. Yeah, so there are definitely a lot of competing responsibilities. And um, mm -hmm. I think I think what I'm getting at from your response is that you really need to manage your time and have those uh, boundaries set, you know, like you have to set aside a certain time of the day to work to your files, you know, because you have an obligation to your clients, but then you also want to reserve time to spend with your husband and your um, and your child. And so I think I think that's very important. And so, you know, this absolutely. Yeah. And I think this all goes to say that you obviously have a very incredible work ethic and that leads, um, that leads to the next topic that we have, which is uh, your most recent award with being one of the top 25 most influential lawyers in Canada. So other than an incredible work ethic, I was wondering if you could speak more about maybe some of the experiences or some of the things that you think helped bring you to this point, like to lead to this point of rec recognition. Uh, first of all, I, I still feel um, that uh, there are so many more lawyers out there who deserve that title than me. Um, I, so I, I don't really know how I how that how that nomination and, and the uh, the selection uh, landed on me. Um, I I've always been having this philosophy of uh, keeping my head low, work hard, and the recognition and the the um, uh, acknowledgement would just follow. So I, I, all I could say about that was that I, I'm absolutely honored uh, to receive uh, this recognition. Uh, it's really not, it's definitely not the end of it, uh, end of things. It's just only the beginning of uh, a long career ahead of me uh, to, uh, to keep working hard and, and, and to keep doing good, good, good work for, for my clients and, and for the legal profession. Very important for sure. And um, I, I know that you just, you just said that uh, you feel like others are more deserving of the award, but I'm sure you are just as deserving. But we were wondering, like, what were your initial thoughts when you received, like when you found out that you received the award, what was your reaction? <laughs> Um, to be very frank with you, I, I uh, often found uh, obviously awards, uh, recognition of lawyers and, and their work um, are milestones in a lawyer's career. And, and also uh, it, it speaks to, uh, you know, how, how a lawyer is, is viewed um, and recognized by his or her community, by her peers. Um, I, always tell myself that it, it is really it's not a way for me to 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 get comfortable and get cocky um it's really something to encourage me to be even um better than what i am doing now because now pe more people know me and and, and I'm, I'm more <laughs> um under people's watch now uh, I, I better uh, get my act together and and not not embarrass myself no i'm sure i'm sure you wouldn't embarrass yourself and i think so far your uh, the attitude that you have towards work you know just keeping your head down and um letting the work speak for itself i think that's something that resonates with a lot of people especially within the asian community and i mm -hmm. 
and it seems like you know it's working so far and you got the recognition which is great because I know you're very humble definitely not cocky <laughs> 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 yeah, so yeah. Really one thing I notice about um, uh, Asian lawyers in general is that we tend to be because of the cultural upbringing we tend to be very humble and we don't you know, brag about what we've achieved or what we've done. Um, it is, again, a balancing act, in my view. Um, you can market yourself, but in a, in a tasteful way, um, uh, while at the same time uh, recognizing that there's a lot to learn and a lot to improve upon. Um, I, I, uh, I think in today's day and age, um, marketing is important um, for, for, for any profession. Uh, after all, it's a business. Uh, but how to do it, how to do it tastefully, how to do it um, uh, to earn earn respect from your peers, um, that, that's, that's an, uh, a form, uh, our form, in my view. I think we had some questions about your language skills, because we know you were very much a self-starter when you came to Canada. Um, and we know that you even enrolled at Langara to do an English program, and you even picked up Japanese along the way. And so, um, I think we were wondering uh, how you how you find uh, to be an effective way to communicate with your clients. So how, how do you use your um, your Mandarin skills and how often I guess? I um, use Mandarin on a daily basis uh, when communicating with my clients. I have a, a, a large client base that are Mandarin speaking um, and uh, language is one thing, but also the ability to understand the the subtleties and and the cultural references and cultural um, the, the, the understanding of, of how to interact with uh, clients from uh, overseas uh, mm -hmm. that is that is beyond the language aspect of things. And I think by learning different languages, uh, it allows me to appreciate the nuances in, in, in the human interactions. And that actually has helped me uh, a lot in, in uh, assisting clients effectively. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely agree that language is, is one of many um, ways to make sure that you're serving your client. And one of the biggest, one of the biggest things that lawyers tend to need to improve on is actually the ability to listen, um, because only with the ability to listen uh, are lawyers able to actually solve the problems for their clients. And um, I liked that you touched a bit about um, cultural competence, because that's something we covered in our very first episode with Myrna McCallum. So she is the host of the Trauma-Informed Lawyer podcast, and she talked a lot about the need to be culturally competent. And so just uh, the ability to be sensitive to the needs of your clients, um, understanding the cultural traditions, it goes a long way. Um, and it really sets you apart in terms of how to be a better advocate for them. Narissa, do you think you can share a story with us about how potentially uh, or in a situation where you had to communicate with a client and you felt that you were able to use your, you know, skills in your language skills or your understanding of, a, of the culture to be able to effectively communicate with them and advocate for them? Um, I guess... Uh, I'll just speak in, in general terms because if it's a, a specific conversation with a client, uh, it's uh, confidential information. <laughs> um, but um, uh, one example I can think of is is, um, uh, is is explaining the legal system 
um, and how things work in Canada uh, to a client, say, from mainland China. Uh, we have a very different legal system here in British Columbia than in, 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 in mainland China. And, and when, when a client who is recent, a, a new immigrant from mainland China, they still hold uh, uh, the kind of uh, understanding and, and, and values about how a legal system works of, uh, in, in, in China, and they tend to apply that understanding to how things work here in BC. It, it is a huge cultural shock for them. And to be able to explain the procedures and what's expected of a litigant in British Columbia, um, it takes a little bit of uh, uh, thinking in your own head uh, to be able to explain things in the simplest and, 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 and easy to digest manner. Um, uh, for example, you know, as a litigant, you have uh, certain obligations under the court rules uh, to produce documents and to uh, answer questions on an, an examination for discovery. Um, you have to explain that um, obligation um, in, in, in a way that a client can appreciate the, 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 the magnitude and importance of it uh, in, 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 a, in litigation in, in, in Canada. So um, you just in my like in my experience, I, I find that I have to perhaps sometimes explain three times, four times, five five times uh, about the process and how things work and the, the first principles behind a lot of those things uh, that are required of of a litigant to the Chinese clients in order for them to appreciate um, uh, why they are asked to do certain things. So. Um, but that said, um, Canadian litigants may have to have that kind of uh, 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 preparation and coaching from, uh, from their counsel as well. Uh, it's just with the cultural differences and the language barrier, uh, it just takes longer, perhaps. Um, and it takes more of a um, reorganizing thoughts in, in, in the lawyer's own head to explain things in, in, in the simplest way to the clients. I, I'm talking in very abstract terms, um, but I, I, I have to say that those all drew from my uh, personal experience dealing with um, um, litigants that are uh, from overseas. Thank you. I can imagine somebody who is not understanding the legal system and having somebody like you taking the time and, and being patient and walking them through the step, that's really important. That speaks a lot to be able to advocate effectively for, for your clients. So thank you for that. Yeah. So, um, Narissa, I guess in closing, we uh, were wondering if you had some words of advice for our listeners um, or anything you wanted us to take away from today's uh, episode. I would say, um, you know, as, as, as Asians, we have really strong work ethics. We keep our head down. We work hard. Um, we don't, we don't stir things up, so to speak. We don't make fuss about things. Um, and maybe because of that kind of cultural mentality, we are, um, less seen, um, in partnership in large firms in, in, uh, on the bench, um, in, in, uh, uh, you know, the, the percentage of, of Asian lawyers, um, 
who are, say, litigation partners in large firms is probably very low. Um, it's, it's um, uh, I don't have, it's an anecdotal guess. Um, I don't have the, the actual stats, but just from uh, observation, that's just my sense of, of what the reality looks like. Um, by the same token, we have very, very few Asian uh, judges uh, at the superior court level across Canada. So I, that's something that I'm teaching myself um, to um, make myself known in the community and in the profession, again, in a, in a, in a way that uh, attracts respect and, um, and uh, um, uh, recognition from, from the community and from my peers. Uh, and, and and not to be afraid to voice myself, um, and I think as Asians, that's just something that we all collectively uh, should uh, work on and strive for um, to to make ourselves more visible in a profession and in a community. Mm, yeah, I think visibility and more representation is definitely areas that the legal profession can work on. And yeah, it's it's astonishing to think about. Uh, the number, the low, the low figures of of, uh, of Asian litigators in the profession. So we definitely mm -hmm. need more representation. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to see more uh, Asian litigators, female Asian litigators, uh, for sure. <laughs> well, I'm interested yeah. in litigation, so hopefully I can follow. Fantastic! Awesome. So those are all the questions that I had. Um, Jenny, I don't know if you had any follow-up questions. It's been really like inspirational to talk to you, and we thank you so much thank for you. your time. Nerissa shared with us today some very personal experiences. She has demonstrated a strong and humble work ethic in both her professional and personal life. We hope you take away from today the importance of being resilient, self-motivated, and culturally competent with your clients beyond just language skills. If you are in a senior position or find yourself in a senior position one day, we hope that you find the courage to stand up for your juniors or peers subjected to discriminatory treatment like Nerissa once faced in her early years of practice. Thank you for tuning into the Fackle BC podcast. Visit our website at fackelbc.ca and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at FackleBC. We hope you enjoyed our episode today and stay tuned for the next guest. If you have guest speaker suggestions, please email us at membership at fackelbc.ca.